Matt Tellis is a humorous author who writes about Mother's Day. This particular time, he was talking about a mom that he observed in the grocery store. He talked about her finesse in managing five young kids who wanted one of everything, all the while negotiating a basket full of groceries and checking out with enough coupons to nearly make the store pay her. He said it reminded me of how difficult mothering can be if done right. He then explained with this particular statement, in order to be a good mom, you must have the patience of Job, the wisdom of Solomon, the compassion of Mother Teresa, the financial savvy of Warren Buffett, and the defensive prowess of Chuck Norris. All in the same day. He then concluded by saying, I think we all can agree that no one's, quote, just a mom. There's absolutely no such thing. So happy Mother's Day. There is no such thing as just a mom. And I know that as we come together for Mother's Day, sometimes it's difficult because of your experience, just as Cheryl and Rudy shared. And thank you all for doing that. I'm, I'm sorry I missed all that you had to say in the back, but I look forward to watching the recording. I was fortunate. <laughs> No, I wanted people to hear your testimony, Rudy, and, and, and Cheryl for what you had to say, because, you know, Mother's Day today is hard for a number of people, because this may be the first Mother's Day without your mom. Could be that you didn't have a good relationship with your mom, and you mourn that. It could be that there's challenges with your kids. You know, sometimes people think, I just want to get through this if it's a bad memory. But I think it's important for us to recall as well that Scripture tells us to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And sometimes we will transfer our experience on everyone else. And so if this is a great day, be aware that some others, this is not such a great day. And if you're having a tough day, celebrate that others are having a good day. So happy Mother's Day to you. We have a carnation for each of you as moms on your, your way out. And we hope that you'll pick one of those up uh, on the way out after the service. And we also have a coupon for you that looks like this. You can pick it up at the Connection Center out in the atrium. And it's $10 off at Elsa's uh, Greek Grill. Plus, you get a free dessert for mom. And that's good for this week. They're not open on Sunday. Uh, so you can do that throughout this week. But uh, there's one mom who isn't here today, but she is extremely proud of her son, Stephen Henry who graduated with his MDiv just a little over a week ago, and in the same ceremony, his dad received a PhD. And that was exciting. Stephen, where are you? Stand up so everybody can just say congratulations to you on that. Super. That is one of the most difficult masters to earn. Uh, you had, what, how many hours? Over 88, over 90? 88, which you can earn three MBAs in the same time. That's very difficult with languages and all the likes, so we're very proud of you, and wanted to uh, let you know in two weeks we'll have ordination service for Stephen and his dad, uh, the newly minted PhD with his, what, is that his second or third doctorate? Yeah, he's got a couple of doctorates. He's a medical doctor as well. He will be here to preach the charge to Stephen for the ordination service. I hope you'll plan on being here for that. Well, as we look at Psalm 23 this morning, we're going to find that the Lord offers to us provision for all that we need and protection from all that we don't need. This particular psalm, as Rudy read earlier, is 
second in familiarity only to the Lord's Prayer. Some people know Psalm 23 even better than they know the Lord's Prayer. Obviously, the most familiar passage of Scripture in all of the Old Testament. It is so simple that a child can understand it, yet it's so profound that even a scholar will never plumb the depths of its meaning. This is David's autobiography in 118 words spread out over six verses and can be read in about 30 seconds, if only this sermon could be that fast. It's known as a song of the old shepherd. Because as you hear those words and you know that David's a shepherd, you wonder, did, did he write those as a young man? But these are words that were written later in life. That's why some would even say that this psalm potentially was written as he was escaping from Absalom trying to take the throne. It expresses the unswerving love of God. The, the hesed is what it is called. And to say that accurately in Hebrew, you have to kind of spit. But it is this, this loyal love of God. And moms demonstrate that so beautifully. We have a, uh, a laugh in our house because Michelle explains to our kids when she's really trying to communicate how much she loves them. She says, I, I would lay in the street for you. And we all look around and it's like, what good is that going to do? But, <laughs> but it's a demonstration of I will do anything for you. I will give my life for you. And that's what this psalm is all about, is this great unswerving love of God. It expresses the relationship with God so beautifully, so poetically, and so personally. In 118 words, there are 17 personal pronouns. 15% of the words are personal pronouns about relationship with God. And it's interesting as we go through this, and we might be thinking, how is this going to speak to me? Great, we want to do that, right? But I want you to think for just a moment. There was a day when Psalm 23 did not exist. There was a time in human history when there was no Psalm 23. And then there was a day in which it was written. And now we have benefited all of these millennia later. Question for us. What will we do today with our lives that will last. We may not write the 23rd Psalm, but what could we do with our life that would last and make a difference and minister to people in generations yet to come? Hear the words again. The Lord is my shepherd. All of the patriarchs, Moses and David, they were all shepherds. When we think of that, we think, well, great, they were shepherds, but shepherd, being a shepherd was one of the lowest jobs that you could have. That's why it was always passed down to the youngest son in the family. Do you remember in 1 Samuel chapter 16, when Samuel goes to anoint the new king to replace Saul, and he gets there, and he goes through all of these boys, seven of them, and then he gets to the point of like, okay, where is there, is there another boy here? Yes, the youngest boy, he's out tending the sheep. It was a cruddy job. You had to stay with the sheep continuously. You stayed with them in the cold, in the heat. You slept out in the feet with them. You were, you were constantly with them. It's a reminder that God is constantly with us. He is constantly our protector, and he is constantly our provider. Sheep lack a sense of direction, and they can easily get lost. They're, they're prone to wander. 
So a shepherd must continually be guiding them, thus he must continually be with them. It says in Isaiah 53, 6, all of us are like sheep who have gone astray. We need a shepherd. But we say, I don't feel like a sheep. I don't look like a sheep. And I certainly don't smell like a sheep. But the Bible says we're sheep. Why? Because sheep are absolutely defenseless. It's kind of a statement against evolution. The survival of the fittest, sheep have survived. And they're absolutely, totally defenseless. They are completely dependent on the shepherd. They're the most time-consuming animal to care for. They're needy. Can we say high maintenance? Sheep are HM. And Jesus says, I will be the good shepherd that takes care of you, my sheep, who are totally dependent upon me. Notice what it says in John 10. It says that Jesus is our good shepherd, and he knows our name. We continue in that chapter, and it says that sheep hear my voice and follow me. The question for us today is, do we hear the voice of God through his word? We all want Jesus to be our shepherd, right? But are we listening to his voice through his word? And he says, if you are doing that, it is an indication that you belong to my flock. And they also obey me. They follow me. See, our role is to continually follow after Christ. Sometimes we wonder. We're trying to figure out God's will. Most recently, my prayer has been, Lord, help me to faithfully follow you. I love those passages of Scripture as you go through the, whole, the entire Bible, and it says that God is going before us, going before us, going before us. If he's always going before us, what is our role? We don't have to figure out where to go. We just have to what? Faithfully follow him. And maybe that's the greatest prayer that we could pray. God, would you just help me to faithfully follow you because I trust in the direction that you are going. I trust you as my shepherd. It says, I shall not want. Left to themselves, sheep lack everything. They're helpless. And here is the scripture telling us, David saying, shall not want, shall not lack anything that I need. What is the promise there? Prosperity? God will give us everything that we want. He will help me to pay down my debt, buy that car, get that job. It's not the promise. It's a promise of contentment. Now think back again what it says in John 10. The great shepherd knows your name. What's your name? What might he need to be calling you right now? Restless distracted, angry, worried, anxious, busy, overwhelmed, disappointed. Would that be the name that he would? Shepherds would have names for their sheep. And from time to time, they'd have nicknames, just like Jesus nicknamed James and John, the sons of thunder. They'd be walking down the road. Come on, you sons of thunder, when they were kind of getting irritated and hot. And Jesus would speak to us as sheep, say, come on, anxious, let's go. 
Worry. Pick it up. Restless. What does he want to call us? What does he want our name to be? Contented. That's what it says. I shall not want. I will be content. And he goes on to describe this. Again, we're not accustomed to sheep, and so all this seems a little bit strange to us, but there's such beautiful poetry in here of what it's like to be a sheep that is cared for by the shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Sheep won't lie down unless they're completely contented. They won't lie down where they feel fearful. They won't lie down if there is conflict among the flock. Sheep are stubborn and hard-headed. I mean, they, they, you would think of them as just nice, docile animals, but they're kind of bullies on each other. And they won't lie down if they feel like there's coming a, a friction among the flock. They won't lie down if there's insects. You've been out there on a summer day trying to have a picnic and the flies are going everywhere and you just can't have fun because you're trying to swat those to the mosquitoes. Sheep are the same way. They won't lie down. And they won't lie down if they're still hungry. But it says that the great shepherd makes me lie down. What does that mean? He doesn't push me down. He provides everything I need to be contented so that I can lie down. It's the promise that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. He says, if you're worn out, if you're laboring, if you're heavy laden, come to me and I will give you what? Rest, contentment. I will cause you to lay down. And, you know, just to, to see a sheep laying down in the green pasture, completely contented, that is the picture that David had as he thought of God. He leads me beside still waters. That reminds me, I, I grew up in an era, and, and maybe, maybe it's still in some circles used, but almost invariably, every time someone would pray publicly, they would say, Lord, would you lead, guide, and direct? Anybody remember that prayer? Nobody remembers that. Man, that was a go-to. I mean, Lord, lead, guide, and direct. And you're always, you're thinking, I mean, that sounds pretty much the same. But that's what David is talking about here. He's going to lead us. He's going to guide us. He's going to direct us. Sheep are easily panicked. Imagine being a shepherd, knowing that even if a rabbit jumps out of the weeds, it could cause a stampede. They're spooked. And so he's saying, he leads me beside still waters. What is that? They're spooked by water. Sheep will come to a, a stream, and if the water is running too fast or making too much noise, they won't drink. He says, he leads me to buy still waters. The shepherd would take rocks and would dam up a portion of the brook in which it would create this quiet pool in which the sheep could then contentedly drink the water. He restores my soul. Soul could mean life. It's a picture of resurrection. It literally means that, to bring back to life or to give back life, to return life or vitality. I wonder for any of us here, do we feel like our life is gone? Do we feel like we're dying inside? And here is David looking back over his life, all that had transpired, all that had happened. He says, Lord, you restore my soul. Do you think he had to have his, his soul restored after Bathsheba? Do you think he had to have his soul restored after the loss of Absalom and all that took place? Do you think he had to have his soul restored when there was conflict between who would follow him as king? 
And he says, he does restore my soul. Thinking of a sheep, a sheep have a a situation which is called being cast, C-A-S-T. That's when they are stuck and can't get up, like that old commercial, I'm stuck and can't get up. Well, because of their comfort and the heaviness of their their, their wool and being too overweight, fat, a sheep can actually fall over in a position where they can't right themselves. And the only way for them to live is to be rescued because they cannot get out of the situation. And when he's talking about our soul being restored, it's to say that we will die unless the shepherd restores our soul. What a great picture is that? I'm looking at some of you. You need your soul restored right now. If your face is communicating correctly, you need restoration in your soul. And God wants to restore our souls. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. The path that Jesus chooses for us is always the best path in every sense. You think back to Exodus. Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. The people of God are are leaving out of Egypt. And they're finally being liberated and free. And they're going to the promised land. But they don't go directly to the promised land. It tells us in that verse of scripture, Exodus 13, verse 17 that they didn't take the shortest route to the promised land. Why? Because if they'd gone that way, they would have been obliterated by the Philistines. They would have lost all confidence in God, and they would have run back to Egypt. Instead, God took them the longer route by the Red Sea, where he would miraculously deliver them, and then down into the Sinai Desert, which he would speak to them and establish them as his people. He leads me in paths of righteousness, It's out of God's character to not lead us in the right way. Whenever we question God, remember talking about that in the book of James? God doesn't tempt. Whenever we feel like we are being led in the wrong way, it's not God. It's out of God's character to lead us in the wrong way, so he always leads us in the right way. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This could be translated deep darkness or thick fog. Does that define any of us? Do we feel like we're walking through deep darkness or thick fog in our lives? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. You see, God leads us through those valleys. We, we would always like to stay on the mountaintop. We would always like to stay in the green pastures. We would always like to stay by the still waters. But God leads us through the valleys to take us to other destinations. See, valleys are to be passed through. They're not to be lived in. And maybe for some of us, we're living in a valley right now. And it feels like we're never going to get out. And we need to hear the word that God will lead you out of the valley. And maybe for some of us, we're in the valley and we're choosing to stay in the valley rather than allowing God to lead us out of the valley. Are valleys of benefit to us? Do you remember David killing Goliath? And what did he tell King Saul? God delivered me from the the bear and the lion. Don't you think that was adversity in David's life? Imagine what it felt like as a shepherd. It's like, why don't you just leave us alone, Mr. Bear? Why don't you just leave us alone, Mr. Lion? But he had to pass through that valley of the shadow of death to fight the bear and to fight the lion, not certain that he would overcome. 
But because he did, and because he went through that valley, then he entertained the insane idea as a 17-year-old boy that he could kill Goliath. If he had not killed the bear and had not faced the lion, I don't think he ever would have entertained the idea that he could fight Goliath. We grow stronger through adversity. Friends, I'm praying for you, those of you that are going through the valley. And you let me know when you're going through a valley, and I will pray for you fervently. We sense God's presence more easily when life is going well, don't we? When things are good, life is good. God is good. But God is good all the time. And all the time, David's description of God being with us in adversity helps us to understand that God is with us when things don't go well. God may seem distant in the dark, but David's experience led him to say, you are with me. The fear that we're talking about here is the fear of anticipation of evil. And you know that's used several times in the Old Testament, but the most common word for fear in the Old Testament means reverence and awe. It's used over 300 different times. And God wants to move us away from this perpetual fear of something bad to having a perpetual fear, reverence, awe for God. That's the fear that he wants to put in our lives. It's not to say that we are to ignore all the troubles in our life. It's just to say that God is bigger than our troubles. What did Paul say in Romans chapter 8 as he was concluding that great chapter? Nothing is ever going to separate us from the love of God. And that's what David was talking about in Psalm 23. Your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. Again, they're not tools that you carry. How many of you have a shepherd's rod? Shepherd's staff? We, we don't have those in our toolbox, right? But a, a shepherd's rod was used to bring comfort. The word for comfort there literally means to breathe deeply. Some of you are into breathing techniques where you sit there in a dark room or whatever and you blow those balloons up and they make you feel better, right? Well, the picture here is someone sleeping peacefully. If you were to walk into the room, you hear these deep breaths and then the silence. They're just peacefully resting. That's the picture here. For those of you that do the breathing techniques, I read something recently. I can't remember which, which magazine article it was, but it noted that if you want to calm yourself, close off your right nostril and breathe through your left nostril, and that will facilitate a calming effect. And if you need some energy, like many of you do right now, then close off your left nostril and breathe in through your right nostril, and it will inspire energy and creativity and wake you up. Let's all together with that right nostril right now. See, Jesus' presence, Jesus' presence is the answer to our fears. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Jesus is honored in the presence of his enemies. Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. All of those who despised him as Messiah have already bowed before him as Lord. It's a picture of God saying, you will not be overcome by your enemies. 
the Lamb's table, the supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19.9. It's a picture of friendship, relationship. Sheep, the shepherd would use uh, the oil to put on the sheep to fight off the insects and to give them comfort and healing because they're always butting their heads up against things. But it also means a mark of friendship because a host would mix oil and perfume together and give it to a guest to express friendship. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. It literally means super abundance. How many of us would say that we're living the Christian life in which we sense we are experiencing super abundance? It's a picture of that, that cup overflowing. It, it never runs out. You, you take a drink of your favorite drink and you, and you set it down and before you can turn around, the waiter has poured it again and it's filled again and it never runs dry. Like Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, that God can do more than we can ever begin to imagine. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When Christ is our shepherd, goodness and mercy chase us. Literal translation there. You know, many of you as moms remember those vacations in which your kids would be in the back seat, young kids, and what would they be doing? Mom, he touched me. Yeah, you have all that, but I'm talking about when they're fighting with each other. And then you go through all of this and all the different things that they've done, and then it's a, Mom, he's looking at me. That's the same picture here. You can't get away from God's goodness and mercy. It will shadow you all the days of your life. And friends, I think for sometimes we just need to take a moment to turn around and say, God, I see your shadow of goodness and mercy that has followed me instead of always looking ahead and forgetting that God shadows us with his goodness and mercy. David sees death as a greater good that will usher him into the very presence of God. Kent Hughes is one of the commentators I read for these messages, and he was talking about his grandmother approaching that last moment of death. And one of, her, one of her sons came into the room, knew that she loved the Hallelujah Chorus, and said, Mom, you want me to play the Hallelujah Chorus, your favorite? And here was her reply, Oh no, it will sound so much more beautiful in just a minute. It's that kind of in anticipation that everything in this life pales in comparison to what it will be. Psalm 23 begins and it ends with the Lord, because the goal of life is to be in relationship with God, to find our every need fulfilled in Him. So what is the most important word of all in Psalm 23? You know it. What is it? My. The Lord is my shepherd. David knew God as his shepherd, and that's why he wrote this very personal autobiographical statement about his life and relationship with God. He experienced all of the benefits that we have talked about here because God was his shepherd. But all that's mentioned in Psalm 23 is only for those who have decided to follow Jesus as their shepherd. Interesting side note. How many shepherds does a sheep have? One. Sheep don't have multiple shepherds. They have one 
And so the question is, will I make Jesus my shepherd or will I choose to have a different shepherd? But we can only have one. That's why we live in a time in which more people talk about Jesus being a shepherd. A shepherd you may want to follow, you may want to consider. He's a shepherd. But the only way we'll reap the benefits is when he becomes my shepherd. We all have sheep-like instinct to follow. You say, well, I don't follow anybody. We follow someone, we follow something, or we follow the desires of our own heart. And the best that we could ever follow is Christ. So what is our point of refreshment? As we talk about this, the point of refreshment today is this. The great shepherd offers us all that we need. He provides all that we need, and he protects us from all that we don't need. And we would quickly say, wait a second, there are things in my life that I don't need. We need to allow God to be the judge of that. Because if something is in your life, he knows that that can be used to create and foster and make us more into the image of Christ. Thus, he allows it. He protects us from everything else. Sheep only have one defense mechanism, running. The only thing sheep can do, and isn't it silly when you think about a sheep saying, oh, I'm going to run from that gazelle, I'm going to run from that wolf, I'm going to run from that lion. The only defense mechanism they have is running. Friends, that's true for us. That's the only defense we have, to run to Christ, the one who loves us, and created us to have a relationship with him. And we need to run to him, because without him we are shepherdless. Our sin has alienated us from a holy God, and Jesus is the only one who can make us right with God. All we have to do is humbly bow before him, acknowledge our sin, repent and turn away from our sin, and fully surrender our life to Christ, to say, I will Hear your voice in your word, and I will obey where you lead me to go. Isn't it great that we can be changed for all of eternity? I want to lead us in a prayer in just a moment, and if you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, this could be the beginning point of a relationship with God. It's that starting statement to say, God, I need you. I want you to be my shepherd. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for the goodness of who you are. 118 words that we can never fully understand. But they describe how you care for us and love us. I pray that you would help us to be the type of sheep that do follow hard after you. To take the time to ponder the goodness, the mercy that you've put into our lives. To celebrate who you are. The fact that you have chosen us to be the sheep of your pasture. Lord, I pray for friends now that maybe in this room or listening online that have never received you as Lord and Savior, that they would desire more than anything else to not speak of you as a shepherd, but as my shepherd. And they can do that as simply as crying out to you with a prayer similar to this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins 
and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, as we leave this place, worship is created for us to experience change every time we worship. And as we reflect upon these words that are so familiar to us, give us pause to ask, have I truly submitted to you as my shepherd? Or am I simply thinking you are, but I seldom ever listen to your voice and only obey when it's convenient or it's something I want to do? Help us to see the picture that David has painted of what it means to be your sheep, to be submitted to you as our shepherd. Guide us, we pray, into deeper relationship with you. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Love you all. Thanks for listening. Happy Mother's Day. And don't forget on the way out to pick up a carnation and one of these coupons. And if, if you want to uh, experience... Colin, you're here, buddy. You stood up just too early. He wasn't here when we had new members' introductions. He couldn't make it. Colin, welcome to the Westgate family. We're glad you're part of our church fellowship now. David and Jackie's Cross's son. We're going to sing this last song. It's a time for us to worship, and if you want someone to pray with you, uh, know that uh, the deacons of the month and their wife will be standing at the end of each one of these aisles. I'll be over at the cross. You can also go to the Connection Center after the service. If you have a communication card right in front of you, you can fill that out and just note a prayer request or if you want someone to be in contact with you to help you in your spiritual journey. So let's stand together and let's worship and respond to the Lord.
have a great week. Happy Mother's Day.